Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is CMO Moves, the podcast that showcases the human side of game-changing leaders. Here's their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. We hope you'll enjoy their stories and take away a few tips and inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of CMO Moves. Today, I am here with Kate Hewitt, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of Bombas. Hey, Kate. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This, I would say this is one of those episodes that's been a long time in the making because we've known Kate for quite a while on the Adweek side through her incredible work at Bombas and, as well as her um, dedication to our executive mentor program. So I'm personally excited to get to know you a bit more, Kate, and I hope you're excited too. Thanks. I am. I am. (laughs) So I want to start with, of course, I have so many questions about your professional background, but I almost want to go further back and tell us a little bit about yourself, anything noteworthy in your upbringing that, that maybe folks don't really know about you. Yeah. Um, Probably the biggest thing is that I'm the oldest of five kids, which teaches you a lot about getting comfortable with chaos and what you are able to control and not control. That was a pretty formative experience. I also got the opportunity to move around a bit as a kid. I grew up mostly in DC, but then my family relocated for my dad's job to Switzerland when I was in middle school and the first part of high school. And then when we returned to the US, we moved back to Boston. So I moved in seventh grade and 10th grade, which were pretty, pretty interesting moments to move. And I got to see some pretty different places. I'm sure. How, how many, how long were you in Switzerland? We were there for three years. Wow. 
That's so cool. And are your siblings close? Uh, you're in New York, right? I'm in New York. And three of my siblings are in Boston nice. and one uh, is in New York as well. Very cool. Yeah. I, we actually had an interview um, recently for a coordinator position, and I'm happy to say that she accepted the job and she was telling us how she learned a lot from being a nanny. And I thought that was so unique. She brought that into the interview because she was telling us she didn't have a ton of experience. And she was saying, I've learned a lot from being a nanny of a four-year-old and a nine-year-old. And here's what I learned. And we're like, yes, this is this is a good skill. Awesome. So then tell me a little bit about your journey to Bombas because it's a very interesting Bombas, relatively newish brand compared to the grand scheme of things, but you've been there for um, how many years? Yeah. So I have a bit of a journey with Bombas, which is I was there full-time for the first year that I was there. And then I got a pretty amazing opportunity to go to a scaling stage international startup, which especially given the experience I mentioned in Switzerland was pretty compelling. So I, I led the U.S. expansion for a company called TransferWise. And while I did that, I continued to work with Bombas in a consulting role for three and a half years because I just I loved the brand, the product, the mission, and the people. Um, and was just really passionate about seeing Bombas continue to grow. And then about three years ago, I returned to Bombas full-time as CMO, but I've been closely involved with the company for, you know, almost a decade at this point. Wow. So you are a true boomeranger. I think that's, yes. uh, that's yes. awesome. So what, I, I guess it's almost like what brought you there in the first place to Bombas and then maybe what brought you back? And is it, the, was it different? Yeah. The thing that brought me there in the first place and the thing that brought me back later were mostly the same, which is what I mentioned, loving the the product, the mission, the people. I think the piece that wasn't as there when I was first there was that when I joined, it was the four founders and one other full-time employee. It was, and it was bootstrapped. So it was a very small budget, very small team. And I just, I wasn't learning as much as I would have liked. I was doing basically the same work that I had done four years before when I was, you know, first getting into marketing. I wasn't scared by what I was doing, if that makes any sense. And the transferize opportunity was really big and, and scary. And I genuinely did not know if I could do it. And so I felt like it was the right moment to push myself. And as it turns out, that experience at a scaling stage startup now that Bombas is very much in that scaling stage has been extremely valuable. It's helped me understand which of, you know, what of what's happening at Bombas is typical of a scaling stage startup. What's maybe not. It's seeing a little, it's a little bit like being able to see a map before you go somewhere versus if you're on Google, just going turn by turn, having been in a different scaling stage startup, I have a little bit better of a sense of Mm -hmm. some of the issues that may emerge and I can, you know, help us avoid them. And when you were first, when you first started with Bombas or before you even took that role, were you seeking out to become CMO? Was that always on your radar? It wasn't. I've not generally been someone who's super motivated by title and I actually fell into marketing by accident. So marketing is actually a second career for me. I spent the first five years of my career in finance. And when I moved from finance to tech, the first startup I worked for basically had a couple of engineers and one other non-technical person besides me. And because of my analytical background, the founders basically said, hey, we need somebody to do performance marketing. You understand math, basically. (laughs) Would you be willing to try it? And I was excited to try it. And it turned out I really liked it. I loved the balance of the 
psychology and the analytics and really being able to think about how kind of the art and science come together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really enjoyed it and continued to grow in that path. And actually when I first joined Bombas, when it was really small, just the four founders, they actually asked if I wanted a CMO title. And I was like, it's a four person startup. I think that's, <laughs> that just doesn't make sense. So I actually have initially joined as, as VP of marketing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And that, that I saw your background. I think that's fascinating. I'll ask you a question in a little bit about just financial acumen, because that is such a big topic in the marketing community and folks who don't come from a financial or analytical background, how they play that up a bit more. But before that, when we were talking earlier this week, Kate, you mentioned Mm -hmm. something around learning as a North star, and I'd love to just dive into that a little bit and, and see how you view that. Yeah, I just absolutely love to learn. I would say throughout my career, learning has been one of the biggest things that I've focused on as a driver for how I make career decisions. At every point, the one of the biggest things I've thought about in each transition moment is what am I going to learn in this new role that helps me continue to grow and be a bigger contributor to wherever I'm at? And it's something that I do, not just in those transitional moments. If you looked at the photos on my phone, you'd find hundreds of screenshots of ads, hundreds of screenshots of different, you know, site e-commerce, obviously at the moment, hundreds of screenshots of different elements of e-commerce sites, hundreds of screenshots of really effective SMS marketing messages that I've gotten from other brands or post-purchase email series or responses from customer support teams. There's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. to learn just from looking around in addition to the the more structured things that I do to learn, which is quite a lot of outreach to people I think are doing interesting stuff. I'm pretty shameless about reaching out to people on LinkedIn who I think are working on things that are interesting so I can learn how they're thinking about it and I'm happy to share my experience in exchange for talking to them. And then quite a lot of reading mm-hmm. as well. Business books, articles, there's some really amazing content on Substack. So kind of small moments of learning as as well as more structured. That, uh, yeah, you kind of answered my next question. I was going to say, how do you prioritize it? Because I think, I think a challenge for many is they want to be continuous learners and, mm -hmm. but you let your day job eat up all of your time and then you don't leave any time to be curious, but you, your approach is more organic than that. You weave it in every day. Yep. I listened to a podcast a while back of a guy who had like a block on his calendar. I think it was like every Friday he had to email three people. And for him, it was more specifically around networking. But I think for this kind of stuff, it's awesome to be able to do. I did a reforge class last year that was phenomenal. It's a lot of time really structured. But I think if you can, for me, if I can find ways to balance really chunky ways of learning like that with things that are a little bit more lightweight and more take advantage of curiosity and doing things that are a bit smaller, but doing them really regularly that compounds yeah. over time. Is there a go-to or a recommended resource you have in terms of learning about innovation? Like the things that are, there's like kind of the evergreen learning, but then there's like trending what's on the forefront, like any advice you have there? Yeah. Right now, probably like most marketers uh, listening to this, I'm fascinated by TikTok and the way that storytelling is changing. I'm really fascinated by what, you know, how people connect with brands on that platform, how they talk about their experience. That's one of the places I'm pretty interested in Twitter. I think there's some really interesting stuff happening with DAOs and the more crypto space. So I think it's, I think it's more just keeping my ears 
ears and eyes open for where is there where is there starting to be some interesting things mm-hmm. happening and then letting myself be curious about it. TikTok is just like the things that go viral. It's like trying to unpack and understand that logic is just fascinating because I don't think anyone will ever crack the code. And then in terms of what's happening at Bombas, let's talk a little bit about like the things that you right now, your team is driving towards what's new for the brand. What are you guys excited about? Yeah. Um, So we had two pretty massive milestones as a company this year. The first is that we launched underwear, which is uh, many people don't know this, but it's the second most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, socks, uh, which is our flagship product, is the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters. And a couple of years ago, we launched t-shirts, which are the third most requested clothing item in homeless shelters. So with the launch of underwear, we have one, two, three, which allows us to continue to grow our impact uh, in the community of people who are experiencing homelessness, which is phenomenal. Also, the product is really good, which is always, as a marketer, awesome to be able to, to sell a product that we truly believe in. And then the second major milestone was that we expanded outside of the US. So we launched our first international e-commerce presence that we launched in the UK a couple of weeks ago. So pretty early days there, but those are things that we've been building to obviously for quite a long time. Oh, congrats. That's exciting. And then obviously with, with holidays coming up, Black Friday, all of that, I'm sure your team is just is that happening. Yeah. Right. Is that right around the corner? Any big changes? Again, six years with the brand total time, right? Six years. Yeah. Close, closer to seven. But yeah. yeah. So you've seen, you've been through this before, but I mean, it's ever changing <laughs> every year. It's a different landscape for retail. Any yeah. big kind of big trends you're seeing or, or things that your team is preparing for? Yeah, the big one, obviously, that everyone's talking about is supply chain disruption. And I think last year that was also on the map. And last year, I would say there was quite a lot of talk in the marketing community and the e-commerce community around people are going to shop earlier. And actually, last year, we didn't really see that so much. This year, though, it is very clearly much bigger in the news. We're seeing if you just go to any store right now in New York, there's a lot more stuff, a lot more sort of shelves that are empty or things that say sold out. And so it's interesting to see one, that the supply chain impact is so much bigger, but second is we are really seeing this year that customers are starting to shift their shopping Mm -hmm. behavior. So when we look at our, you know, Google search related terms for holiday related items, demand in the past two weeks looks more similar to two or three weeks out last year. So we are really seeing what appears to be a a pull forward in, in customer demand. The second is we varied our promotional strategy a little bit more this year. We've historically done one kind of longer sale around Black Friday, Cyber Monday. This year, based on feedback, both from customers and some of our internal teams, we actually have our first promotion has already come and gone, which was last weekend, which was early access for our existing customers. Then we'll have a shorter sort of big Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale, um, and then two more promotional events through the end of the year. So a little bit more spacing them out to try to hit different groups of customers who shop a little bit differently throughout the period, which is a bit of a shift for us. Yeah. I, and you're so right. I, the number of emails I've already gotten from companies that I subscribe to with their Black Friday deals, I'm like, what is <laughs> early? And you mentioned earlier um, on the performance side, when you first started yeah. with Office, that was a, a primary focus for you. And I'm sure I know it is still today. 
Can we mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the, the CMO balancing act of brand versus performance? It's obviously a big topic. It's yeah. never ending and it's never going to be a one size fits all. So would love to get your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So by way of background, my role at Bombas is actually chief marketing and customer officer. And I, it actually does not include brand or creative in its scope. We have two co-founders who basically own that part, the brand and creative piece and they're phenomenal thought partners and actually their leadership in brand and creative was a huge part of the draw for me to come to Bombas because the performance marketing role I was in before was like very performance without really any exposure to brand and so the opportunity to work with people who cared that much about brand and to use performance marketing to build a brand that customers really loved uh, was one of the big draws for me in my role. The way that we think about brand and performance at Bombas is Anything that we're doing on the performance marketing side really has to be on brand. Whereas I think in organizations I've been a part of in the past, it's a, they're quite separate. Obviously, higher in the funnel, like in a TV spot, you have a lot more room to tell more of a brand story. In a search ad, you only have so many characters, it's significantly harder. But the goal with all of our performance marketing budget is to have it perform, but also be as brand accretive as it can possibly be. And then similarly on the the brand side, we try to take, look at it through a lens of, is this just something we want to do for the sake of doing it? Or is this something that we truly think is going to bring people in, get them more excited about the brand and and what we're doing. And in particular, get them more excited about our mission and what we're doing. That's fascinating. I I love that relationship you have with the founders. And it seems like you guys just play to each other's strengths very well in that setup works for Bombas. And in terms of inspiration, back to that point, I, you did mention before that you you lead a marketing breakfast and have for several (laughs) years now. Tell me, I'm so, I'm so interested and want to be invited. So tell me about that. (laughs) We can definitely make you a special guest. So I mentioned that in my first marketing role, basically I was a finance person who showed up at a startup and they basically said, given your skill set, can you work on marketing? I'd never done it before. And so I just cold outreached to people in New York City who were doing marketing in the D2C space. And basically, rather than asking them to talk to me one-on-one, I always like to show up to a networking conversation, being able to offer something not just to ask. And so what I came to was organizing a small group of people that I thought were doing, you know, somewhat similar stuff, obviously non-competitive and set up a breakfast. And then basically when we got to breakfast, it was anything anyone wanted to talk about was fair game, whether that was, how are you thinking about building an affiliate program? Or how do you think about brand versus performance? And how does that change over time? Or having this this issue with XYZ vendor is, is, do you have a different vendor that you prefer to work with? And it turned out to be great because I learned a lot, but also everyone else learned a lot from each other. And so now it's been going once a quarter. I started in 2010, so over a decade. And it's been really fun because a lot of the people in that breakfast, we've grown up together in, in marketing, in what's been a really eventful past 10 years in our space. And it's really fun to have that kind of cohort of peers. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of learning from peers, I know you're also somebody who in our executive mentor program has not only been a mentee, but also a mentor, which is also yeah. pretty, pretty cool and unique. Um, you've seen yeah. sides of it. So tell yeah. me a little bit about how, what your experience has been like. Yeah. In the ad week 
program has been awesome. I mentioned part of the joy of the breakfast is the peer community. And I think one of the more overlooked benefits of the Adweek mentorship program is that that peer community. So I have a ton of friends uh, from my experience just being in that peer cohort. And then my mentor, I think technically we were supposed to meet a couple of times. We continue to meet regularly. And he's somebody that I'm paying on a pretty regular basis with, hey, XYZ is happening. How would you think about an issue like this or an opportunity like this? So Jeff, you know, has been amazing. And then it was quite scary because it's quite a high bar going in the other direction. So it was a bit intimidating, to be honest, to be a mentor. Uh, But my mentee is amazing and is in a completely different space in marketing than I am. And so I've learned, you know, quite a lot from her as well. And hopefully she from me, but. That's awesome. And who is is your mentor? Jeff, is it Jeff? Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. And obviously a big focus of our mentor program is we have a a huge DEI component where we're really trying to change the face of the C-suite and really continue growing that pipeline of talent. And so I know, I, I think it was after the first year you participated, you started a really cool initiative called Pay It Forward. Yeah. So Pay It Forward was intended to help Black professionals connect with people in the marketing and tech spaces. And it came out, I talked a little bit earlier about how much I just do cold outreach networking, but I also find I get quite a lot of inbound networking, but it's through people who went to the college I went to or who are family friends. And I think in the last couple of years, it's become just clearer and clearer to me quite how much privilege I have. And I wanted to make sure that as I thought about who I was talking to, that it wasn't just, I wasn't just helping people who already had quite a lot of privilege. And the goal of Pay It Forward was to create an open list of, it ended up being several thousand people working in in tech and marketing that basically raised their hands and said, we're available as networking opportunities for Black professionals looking, looking to learn more about this space, whether that's a founder who is starting something and needs to learn more about PR because maybe that's not their background to their uh, folks who are in college uh, to mid-career professionals who are thinking about you know, what's my next move. And you've just built up quite a community in and of itself there. So that's amazing. In addition to your marketing breakfast. Imagine a marketing experience so immersive. Millions can enter your store and try your latest drop from wherever they are. That's the power of augmented reality on Snapchat. Over 200 million Snapchatters engage with AR every day on average. And with Snap's full suite of best-in-class AR tools, you can invite them to try your product, step foot into your store, and more while driving real business results. Visit forbusiness.snapchat.com OIS to learn how your brand can tap into the power of Snap AR. I want to ask you about taking risks because when I look at your career path, even just going from finance and analytical background, diving straight into marketing, that in and of itself is quite a big risk. But has there been anything else in your career that you've done that's gone against the norm? Yes. Um, so I'd say, and actually it, it falls right into that transition that you mentioned. So when I left finance, I actually originally left to go to business school, um, but I got to business school and I was about you know, a week or two into orientation. And I realized this is just not the right next step for me. And I I knew I actually really finance. I didn't leave because I didn't like it. I left because I really wanted to build something. And I was really interested in being on the operational side, but I had, you know, left Goldman with an offer to get promoted. So I knew I could go back into finance and that I didn't really need the MBA 
and in the tech world at the time, which is really where I wanted to go, um, particularly in New York at that specific time, which was 2010, there was a little bit of a sort of perceived disadvantage to having an MBA. There was a feeling that it meant you relied on your credentials rather than rolling up your sleeves. And I sort of looked around and I was like, everyone else here at business school with me is so excited to be here. And they're so clear on why they are here. And I was like, and I just, the two things I want to do, this doesn't seem like something I actually need to do those things. And actually it keeps me from doing either of those things for the next two years. And by the way, it's also going to cost me quite a lot of money to do that. And so I, I ended up making the decision to withdraw. It was probably the you know most disappointed my dad has ever been with me. It's turned out to be a decision that I have been really happy with. But at the time I was like, I left my job, I left my business school program and I sat on the couch in my apartment and I was like, I've definitely burned all of the boats. So like now what, <laughs> um, you know, and at, at the time it did feel uh, very scary. Oh, that is such a, I'm so glad you shared that because I think those are the kind of lesser known moments in someone's career who is now a a successful CMO. So I think a lot of people find themselves in those crosshairs where you're like, did I just make like the worst decision ever? Okay. If you can remember back, how long did it take after that decision for you to be like at peace with it? It's a good question. Um, (laughs) If you don't remember, I guess it's a good thing. I don't know if you heard the 2010 part. It was quite a long time ago. I think pretty immediately I knew it was the right. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't know deep down it was the right thing. I think it probably took two years, to be honest. I think it was when I started to see the people that I would have gone to school with come back into the workforce. And I realized they just had learned different things in the last two years than I had. And they weren't better or worse. They were just different. And I had spent two years going from a, you know, seed round startup to a series B startup. And we'd hired a bunch of people and I had learned marketing and I had been essentially the FP&A function for the company. And so I just, I had learned quite different. I'd learned everything in a really practical, I had done maybe more of an apprenticeship, whereas they had gone to school. And so I think seeing that we honestly, in most cases, landed in pretty similar places with just a different journey. And that I felt really happy with the journey that I had taken and didn't feel jealous of theirs. I think that was probably the point at which I felt really solid. Good for you for sticking to your guns and just being true to you. You weren't feeling it. And you, you went with that. I, we, we did this really cool initiative this week where we had sports marketing executives mentor a hundred diverse uh, college students who are in the sports management field looking to just start their career. Some of them are in grad school. And Mm -hmm. so yesterday we had Julian Duncan, who's now the CMO at the the Houston Rockets. He said one of his favorite quotes is always, he quotes Shakespeare and no, I'm going to butcher it now, know thyself and to thy own self be true. Mm -hmm. And that was some advice he gave to the students about just bringing your full authentic self. On that note, how do you embody bringing yourself every single day in your career, in your networking opportunities, because I I do consider you to be such a genuine person who is pretty true to herself. So what advice do you have for others who are maybe struggling with that? I I, I was really fortunate. I had a great role model here, a woman named uh, Susie Scher, who was my boss's boss at Goldman. And she was an out lesbian partner at Goldman in in a time that was not super common. And I think she was she really encouraged me to come out at work. And part of what she said is not only in the long run, is it actually going to be better for you, but you have no idea the halo effect it creates 
on other people because you being out creates that safe space for other people. And that, that was really specific to sexual orientation in that moment, but I think it's true in general. And so I really, I try to be, I, I try to model that for other people. I think one of the hardest things and the one that's been a little bit more of a journey through my career is getting more and more comfortable with admitting when I don't know stuff. And I actually have a, a weekly email that I send to my entire team, which is almost 50 people at this point. And it's every week I send a sort of short email about here's a question I'm asking this week. And sometimes it's how do we handle the supply chain issues that are you know happening? But sometimes it's more how do we focus on keeping things simple? So it's it's a pretty wide range. Every single week when I send it, it just feels so vulnerable um, because I feel like I'm learning in public in front of my team. And while I think that's, it's a little bit scary, totally honestly, but also it's what I like to see in the people that I admire as leaders um, is that they don't show up pretending to know everything and they're really honest that they're learning and growing too. And along the way, they're making mistakes. I just hope to be clear about where those places, because I think starting from that clarity, you can start to move forward. I love that. And I'm sure your team, how has the response been? You get some pretty good answers. It really depends. I'd say one or two people write back each week, but then like in different meetings, it'll come, come up, up again. like yeah. months later, someone will be like, oh yeah, this one you sent like has really stuck with me. So it's a bit hard to gauge, which actually I think is part of why it feels so vulnerable. It's not like every week everyone writes back and is, thanks so much for sending this. It's it's pretty quiet. (laughs) No, I feel the same way. I think it's, we never get quite bonds you anticipate, but you never know those who are still noodling on it and just haven't Mm -hmm. responded. That's what I tell myself, at least. That's awesome. Kudos to you for just, again, just being yourself. Sometimes I think it's it is hard to see the halo effect immediately, but you're right. It's, it happens with all of us. And what I want to touch on a couple things regarding kind of team. And you just mentioned your team. What are some skills right now? It goes without saying it's a tough market right now. It's tough for talent. It's tough for, for brands on both sides. So what are some skills that you look for in, in the modern marketer today? Yeah. So I think actually before I even look at skills, I look at my like mindset or attitude. And one of the biggest things I look for is this person really excited to have an impact and are they excited to learn? That's maybe a little bit specific to Bombas. The world of marketing is changing so much so fast right now. And if if you're not curious about how it's changing, you're going to get left behind like you individually, but also I think about this a lot for our team if we're not constantly thinking about how do we evolve our approach to respond to iOS 14, the privacy update, the the shifting social media landscape, there's a lot of change, honestly, just in the last 12 months, six months, let alone the last couple of years, first and foremost, for that kind of learning orientation and the desire to have business impact. Uh, In terms of the critical skills, I think one that I really probably underappreciated for quite a long time in my own career is the ability to understand financial models and unit economics of the business. Again, this is a little more specific to D2C. Finance has been an absolutely critical stakeholder partner for us. And I think the ability to speak the finance team's language and to really have a really clear conversation around the trade-offs between growth and profitability and contextualizing what we're doing on the marketing side in terms of the broader business financials is quite helpful. And then the ability to, to look at data, the ability to look at data, but also not get lost in the data. Something that I've 
I've talked about a little bit actually in the marketing breakfast group is the given the data orientation in marketing at the moment, sometimes you get folks who are so good at data, but then they get overly fixated on this is what the data is showing. But if you ask them to say, okay, so how do you connect that with your understanding of the customer journey or like where the customer is from a mindset perspective at this moment in time, it's, it's a bit harder for them to connect that. So I think that ability to look at data, understand data, but also gut check it, make sure it makes sense in a broader context is pretty important as well. What about those who don't have a financial background? I, I think it's a topic with marketers that I think for some can be really a cause of them feeling self-conscious. Maybe they're not as well-versed. What would you recommend for those folks on how they can maybe build their financial acumen or even just hold a conversation with the CFO in a way that they show their authority? Yeah, to me, it depends a little bit on the organizational culture. I've generally found if you ask people to explain something to you, they're pretty excited that you're interested in their work. So something I have you know, asked folks on my team to do is, hey, sit with our FP&A team and have them walk you through how our financial model works. Spend an hour with them, ask a bunch of questions, but the better you understand that, the more impactful you'll be able to be. I love that. Just, just ask. I think, but again, asking, I think it is sometimes half the battle. We just all need to be humble about what we don't know. And that's okay. That's awesome. In terms of your team, you've gone from how many to, did I hear 40 now? Almost 50. Yeah. Holy cow. That's huge. So how do you, the question where, you know, on everybody's mind, like, yeah. virtual right now, hybrid, whatever it yes. is. How do you guys stay engaged? How do you as a team, and it maybe doesn't necessarily have to always come from you, but is there any kind of anything you could share that your team is doing that's helping everybody stay engaged and in touch with each other? Yeah. It's a really good question. So I mentioned the Friday email, that's more about keeping connectivity across the org, which gives, giving people some common touch points. Mm-hmm. I think the, the biggest couple things that I'm trying to focus on with keeping my team engaged are one, making sure we're really focused and clear about what are the things we're trying to do. Um, Because I think where you start to get a little bit more disconnected and and isolated is if people feel like they're the only one working on something or they're working on it and other people are either not working on it with them or worse or working on things that are maybe at odds. And so really trying to reinforce, here's what we're doing. Here's the broader business context of why, here's how your team plugs into it. And that's something that the bigger we get becomes more and more Mm -hmm. important. And then I think also reinforcing that working effectively with other teams is actually among the more critical part of parts of the job, particularly as you get more senior, but the the more you're able to work with cross-functional peers, one, it's really fun. Like you get to learn from other people, but there's something really enjoyable and engaging about working with somebody else mm-hmm. on a shared problem or opportunity. So that's pretty big. And then the third, again, pretty simple, but just asking right now, I'm going through a process where I'm asking everyone on my team, essentially two years from now, you're looking back and the last two years have been the best of your entire career. What's happened to make that true, which is intended to get at what would you feel really proud of? Mm-hmm. In two years, what are you excited to learn? How do you want to grow? And I think really getting clearer on what everyone is interested in also really helps me connect them with peers or mentors within the organization who are able to support them in that kind of growth. That's awesome. I love that. And just that simple notion of, I feel like silos are already a bad thing that we all struggle with. And then you add the virtual, like not seeing each other in person to the mix silos. It's gotten 
pretty bad. So I think just addressing that, like you're doing is really important. Um, and before we get to our fun question at the end, Mm -hmm. which I'm so excited about, because true story, Kate did not know how she, she knew, she knows the question. Everybody knows the question. She's listened to this podcast enough, but she genuinely did not know what she's going to say. So now I'm like super excited for, for what she comes up with, but on a more kind of serious note, I'd love to know as a CMO, what keeps you up at night right now? And I think it's probably two things. One is just how rapidly the landscape is evolving and making sure that we're on top of those changes and ideally ahead of those changes. So are we adapting fast enough uh, to respond to the changes in, in customer behavior and expectations. And the second is a little bit of what we touched on before, which is it's an incredibly competitive talent market. How do I make sure that I'm attracting and retaining really phenomenal talent? And also how do I make sure that the people that are on my team are really thriving in their roles, both in terms of, are they happy and are they having the impact that they're most able to have? Because I think there's fewer things as demotivating as feeling like you're being underutilized um, or that you're the things you're great at sort of aren't having the impact that they could be. I love that. I think I'm going to take your, your advice on that last part of asking what would make, how'd you say it? The two years from now, what would make the past two years, best time of your career? That's awesome. All right, my friend. So if time and money were no object, you had all of it in the world. Mm-hmm. what would you be if not a CMO? I'm really fortunate. I love my job. So it's hard to not say just see it like more of the same. I think I would love, and maybe this is overreacting to the pandemic. I'd love to do something that's not on screen so much. So like teaching or like woodworking or community organizing, something that's a lot more about being physically present and engaged in that. Again, I think is maybe an overreaction to to so much Zoom. Not at all. I don't think it's an overreaction at all. I think it's spot on. I think we all have deep down a desire to do something with our hands or something like more, you know, I think that the local community impact sometimes is overlooked because we can have so much scale and reach virtually. It's great, but at the same time, it's really nice and fulfilling to do something a bit closer to home. All right, Kate. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you had fun and see, it wasn't, it wasn't that scary at all. I I get, I told Kate, I get nervous every time I record because I just, I I ramble and I'm still learning (laughs) how to do podcasts. So thank you everybody for listening. You guys rock. We literally have the best audience ever. And the community always um, follows up with takeaways and and things they learn from the show. I hope everybody learned a lot from Kate today. I know I definitely did. And we'll see you soon, Kate. Thanks. Thanks again for being on. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, we'd love your help in sharing CMO moves with one of your friends or colleagues. And please also be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Better yet, leave us a review while you're at it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming, 
to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 